Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, let's pick it up in the chapter 32. After our snow last week, we're a little behind, but we will get caught up here sooner or later. This is actually chapter 32 is a quickie, but you know, in the progression we're, we've, we've been making, we're, we're kind of reaching the end of a, a cycle here, and think th- things are going to change here in a couple chapters. But here, here we have a, a great chapter of, of hope. Doesn't it sound good? You know, a prophecy that all things will be made right. A king will rule in righteousness, and the other rulers will establish justice. And as a result of the, the leaders leading the way God wants, then everybody chooses to follow that good example. So eyes, ears, and minds will be opened to understand God's will, and the people are receptive to it. Now notice, it, this is everybody. Now, the big question is, does it sound reasonable that there will come a time when everyone on earth will accept Jesus? Probably not. So, welcome to heaven. This is heaven. <laughs> right? It sounds, it sounds a bit much, doesn't it? Certainly, I mean, it, it certainly sounds unreasonable when we, when we compare this to this. Sounds like, you know, we're going to reach that point. Compare this to Revelation. The Revelation is just, you know, after the rapture, everybody left is just, just mean and rotten and, you know, will not, absolutely not change their minds. They, they, they will not accept Jesus. Not one of them. So this is a, a vision of, of heaven. And uh, I mean, there, there's so many descriptions of heaven that when you compare this, yeah, it sounds just, just like that. Um, so Jesus is the king. We become the rulers. And uh, Jeremiah and Ezekiel do, do a really good prophetic job at, at portraying that. That you know, the, the, the faith will become the, the rulers of heaven. Right, the the meek shall inherit the earth, and those those kind of things. So so we we get elevated, we get we we get bumped up in in, in our, our responsibilities, but all of that is the result of the culmination of humanity when we get to heaven. So you got to wait for that, but it's coming. And as you read read those first couple of verses, it sounds pretty nice, doesn't it? Just absolutely incredible. So a place that is established in righteousness. Now bump down to verse six. Up until heaven, it says that people contented themselves with fools and scoundrels running the country. Ah! <laughs> I mean, come on. <laughs> Are they writing about our current times or not? Right? So, but, but you know, it, this, is, this is what we do. I mean, we, we settle for the imperfect and sometimes downright awful and... But many people say they're great, right? So fools and scoundrels. Now, a, a fool in the biblical sense is not the way we would describe a fool today. We think of a fool as a, 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 a stupid person, you know, you know, something of that sense. That, that's not what the Bible means when it says fool. And the word fool, I think, is the most common word in, in the uh, book of Proverbs. 
probably a thousand times the word, word, word appears. You know, a fool does this, but a wise guy does this, right? Keeps contrasting. So fool, fool is really, really, really common. So a fool, real easy definition. The definition of a fool biblically is anybody who rejects God. That's a fool. That is pretty pretty stupid. I mean, so yeah, so maybe our, our definition of a fool is, is not that far off. You know, that's a, really a stupid person who can know that God is with us, have the Holy Spirit within you, have the Word before you, have all the creation before you to, to you know, again, confirm God's, God's majesty all around us and look at all that and say, nope, there is no God. Sounds impossible, but most people around us are, in fact, doing that today. So we are surrounded by fools. So these bad leaders are described as busy with evil. They're ungodly. And here, this is really interesting. They spread errors concerning God. In other words, they, they deliberately mislead people in an understanding of God. Now, you don't have to watch TV very long before you'll see people and you know, late night talk shows and all of that. You will see this so clear. Um, you know, people just, first of all, they'll, they'll say, you know, they're ungodly. They'll say, you know, I don't believe in God. And then they'll begin to malign God, uh, make fun of God, uh, just say nasty things about God and, and, and God's people. You know, we're all, we're all twits and morons because we believe in God and you know, they just make fun of us and it just, it, it's really, really bad. So a fool spreads errors, tries to mislead people, tries to take people away. And then finally, the fool becomes cruel. Somebody comes up and says, I'm really hungry, can you help me get something to eat? Or I'm really thirsty, would you give me a glass of water? And the fool says no. <laughs> Well, they have a big plate full of food in front of them and a large drink, right? You know, no, no, I'm not going to share any of this with you. So they, they just become cruel. But once you reject God, you see, that's, that's the progression. It just it goes downhill from there. So I can't emphasize enough how critical it is that we make sure that we are not led astray by a false prophet or a false teaching. Because again, the fool's job description is misleading is to mislead people, is to spread errors. Now, that might come in, in minor ways. That might be, you know, they might not even tell you that, you know, well, I don't believe in God. They might just try and work in some false information about God, try to trick you, try to, you know, just weasel it in there. And, you know, well, I respect this person. They must know what they're talking about, so I believe that. And then the next day they'll share another error with you. So, again, we have to know what this is. We, we, we have to believe the Holy Spirit when we get that, that gut feeling that just something's not right here. You might not be able to identify it that minute, but go with that. That there, there's something in this communication that's not right. And the Spirit will, will definitely do that for you. If you're, you're aware of it. You know, I've, I know, I've experienced it a number of times. It just, that's just doesn't ring true. And it, it might take you a day, a week, a month before it finally hits you. Oh, that's You'll come across this. That's the exact opposite of what I was told last week. This this fool tried to 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 mislead me. So you, you need to be really discerning about that. So verse six is a fool. Verse seven is about the scoundrels. 
Now, these are described as wicked with evil schemes designed to destroy the poor with lies. That's what a scoundrel does. Again, you know, somebody that, that can't can't quite defend themselves, that that, that lacks the you know, political influence or whatever. Do you remember all our discussion about the the poor widows and orphans? Those big people basically disenfranchised from society that are very likely suspect for uh, you know anybody creating laws and and anything against them. They have no defense. So that's what a, a scoundrel does. So a fool rejects God and basically becomes the scoundrel. A person, you know, the biblical definition of a scoundrel is, is a person who's always trying to work the system to benefit yourself. Which means that you're making others suffer. You're taking away from others for yourself. That's a scoundrel. So don't be that. So again, we're in heaven now, but prior to that, we are surrounded with fools and scoundrels. Did Jesus say there will be false prophets, there will be false teachers, there will be many who will lead you astray, there will be wolves in sheep's clothing? He says that directly. And I think we better believe it. Because that's what this is saying. That you know, in this age, this is what we're surrounded with. And again, and I've said it a thousand times, I'll say it again. You know, it is our responsibility to know the difference between a true teaching and a false teaching. So even if you don't know the Bible that well, you still got the Holy Spirit in you that'll you know give you that gut feeling. It'll smack you up alongside the head. We'll do something to get your attention. Say, don't believe that. That's not true. God gives us all the tools and equipment that we need. So, in this day six and seven, bad fools and scoundrels. Verse eight. But now in heaven the honorable lead. And there's such a positive influence that everybody else chooses to live with honor and integrity. See, that's you know, we talk about you know, the harmony in heaven. That's what it is. Everybody believes the same. So we're not going to have you know, various uh, uh, the spectrum of, of, of a belief system. We all are, are, are in harmony because we now know for sure Jesus is Lord. We will go under his, his guidance and he will show us the way the way that we are to live. And we will clearly, easily choose that. Ladies want to remove verses 9 through 13. <laughs> now, ladies, let's, let's keep this in perspective. This is written in a male-dominated society. So essentially, chapters 1 through 31 is to the men. You guys get four verses. <laughs> right? So yeah, let, 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 let's temper this a little bit. So you, you have to understand it. So, but the, the, the point is, God wants to make sure that yeah, because women have not been named so far, that women begin to think, well, we're okay. Right? So it, you all are brought in to make sure that everybody is included. Everybody. Now, women weren't allowed to be leaders, and for the most part, not even have a job. So, but women were critical to life as we know it, so we, we include them here. Everyone is included in this, this judgment. Now, the specific charge against women is that they are complacent and feel secure. Their fathers and husbands have assured them that they have everything taken care of 
and have nothing to fear. The men will take care of this. We will make an alliance and will protect us and we will be fine. So don't you worry your pretty little head. So, and the women, women bought it. So, but complacency is you just, eh, everything's just so smooth and fine. There's nothing threatening. It just, I'm just going to roll along with this. So, complacency is a, a sense of security in which you are so secure, you see no, no, no threat whatsoever. There is no way anything could ever happen to us. See, that's how confident these people were in making these alliances with Egypt and with Assyria. Um, if, if we do that, we're just so so good to go. And how many chapters have we studied so far when God keeps saying, that's not going to work, right? It's You're putting your trust in the wrong people. So God says in one year, all of that will change. The Assyrians will destroy the land and leave it, quote, overgrown with thorns and briars. Whee! That doesn't sound like a lot of fun, does it? So to go from this complacency now to just desert and just awful things, and you know we're soon going to discover all these nasty birds are all around picking at everything, and I mean they're just they're nothing left, just desolation. In one year, it's going to change from complacency, I'm so secure, to total total destruction. Verse fourteen. So with all defenses destroyed. But then look at verse 15. The people repent and allow the Holy Spirit to guide them. Now remember, the unforgivable sin is rejecting the Holy Spirit. So if anyone welcomes the Holy Spirit, the very presence of Jesus into your life, if you keep reading these last few verses, you will see what you get. Look at the list. You get justice and righteousness. You get peace. You get quietness and confidence. Does quietness sound good? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I just thought I'd check. <laughs> you know, chapter two is you get rest, right? Kept kept assuring us we we, we get rest, and um, the place we were at at today had uh, over the door it said rest room. I'm gonna nurse that for a while. Just. <laughs> People banging on it. I'm resting. No, what a dumb name for a room. Restroom. Not resting. Ay ay ay. We laughed a lot about that. But you get a quietness and a confidence. Your home will be secure, and you will be blessed in every way. So returning back to God, repenting, coming to the Lord, gets you all of that. Bottom line is that all the sources of strength and defense are removed. In other words, we have no other recourse. All the things that we have put our faith and trust in are now gone. And finally, people will realize we need to trust in God. And we're going to see more evidence of that here over the next next few chapters. But there's a quick rundown of chapter 32. Any other thoughts, questions, and comments on chapter 32? How'd you know it's going to be a year? It's dun, 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 one of those verses. Verse 10. 10, thank you. In a little more than a year, yeah. You will feel secure. You who feel secure will tremble. Yes, thank you.
Anything else in 32? Boy, Gary, we're moving right along now. <laughs> we're going to nail this. All right, 33. So after all that wonderful good hope and stuff in chapter 32, ah, forget it. First word of chapter 33, whoa, right? And again, this is, this is like one of the worst words in the, in the Hebrew language. This is like you know, the worst warning threat you could ever imagine. Whoa. So this is a woe to those who destroy and betray. Now again, it should be so abundantly clear. We see the justice of God. God making things right. So the way we treat others is the way God will treat us. It says that repeatedly in Scripture. Jesus talks about it. The measure by which you judge others is the measure by which God will judge you. So if you are harsh and narrow and, and don't give people a break and you're, you're very critical, guess what? God's going to treat you the same. But if you're full of grace and, and you're, you're, you're understanding people are fallible and, and we're human and you know all those kind of things, God will do the same with you then in that case. So, look what it says. Those who destroy will be destroyed. <laughs> Justice. Those who betray will be betrayed themselves. Justice. So in other words, what you give is what you get. <laughs> treat others as you would have them treat you. That sounds like something important to remember. Try that. So knowing that God is a God of justice, and knowing that God is in fact going to do this, look at verse 2. The wise person should conclude that we must reach out to God and ask for his gracious goodness. In other words, make our humble submission to God. If God is a God of justice, then we want to align ourselves with God. So try this. Knowing that God is the one who blesses, Look at what it says. Reach out and ask him. Look at a quote. O Lord, be gracious to us. We long for you. Try talking to God that way. Because you don't want to give God the impression that you, you think you're all that and, and you, you deserve it. Ask for it. Be gracious to us, Lord. Now, implied in that is, I'm being gracious to others. See, we're, after verse 1, we're smart enough to realize we're not going to ask God to do something that we ourselves are not doing. If we're asking God to be gracious to us, then we're saying by definition we are striving to be gracious to others. That's the way it works. Verse 4. Once again, we see the justice of God. The countries that plundered and pillaged other nations, they themselves will be ravaged like a swarm of locusts. So they came in like locusts and wiped all these areas out, stole all the money and you know, did everything, took everything they wanted, just totally littered everything around. And now God says, well, I'm going to do the same to you. See how it comes around? Now look at verse 5. The foundation, this is incredible, the foundation of who God is comes down to justice and righteousness. Justice, God will always do what is what is right and make things right. Righteousness is God always does the right things. Saying the same thing twice. Justice and righteousness. 
That's who God is, first and foremost. Verse 6, got to love that. So, what do you think? Would you like salvation, wisdom, and knowledge? Now, you don't have to work that hard to get it, but you've got to do something. Look what you have to do. You have to first trust in God. Didn't see that coming, did you? Do that, it says, and these blessings and so much more will be yours. I mean, look at the end of that verse. I love it when they explain things like this. Quote, the key to this treasure of salvation, wisdom, and knowledge is, quote, the fear of the Lord. Here's the key. It's a, you know, so God doesn't want this to be a secret. <laughs> he's not, he's not you know, making it so, so that only a few people can understand it. He puts it right there in writing. Here's the key. I'm going to tell you the secret. If you want salvation, wisdom, and knowledge, here's what you do. Have a healthy respect for God. Fear the Lord. Understand the greatness of God and that we are not great. Therefore, we need to submit to Him, to worship Him, to love Him, and to come to Him constantly and ask for what we need. We simply choose to humble ourselves and come to God. And again, that's, that's a trust issue. That's what that's all about. Salvation, wisdom, and knowledge. Have a healthy respect for God. Verse 7 says, the envoys of peace weep bitterly. Well, remember who the envoys of peace are. A couple chapters ago, a delegation was sent from Israel to Egypt to make an alliance with them. They went with gifts and money and all this kind of, they were going to bribe their way into this. You know, Egypt, please ally yourself with us and protect us. And we will pay you to do so. So these are the envoys of peace, and now they are weeping bitterly because they realize that was a stupid plan, <laughs> right? It didn't work at all. Now, in, in verse 9, there's four areas named, and these four areas are the four most fertile areas in Israel. And because they choose to place their trust in Egypt rather than God, the result is these most fertile lands will be desolate. That's the judgment. And it just keeps going and going for the next few verses. And then verse 14, well, there's a fun verse. Does that not sound like hell? Burning sulfur and <laughs> smoke and the whole nine yards, right? So there it is. Now, when you get into verses 15 and 16, we, we, we've been hearing for quite a few chapters now, God being very clear to us what, what irritates him. And so 15 and 16 reveal what pleases God. What you like to know? Look at the list. Righteousness pleases God. Live the way God wants you to live. What pleases God is a person who rejects gain from evil means. Again, this has a lot to say with the... Um, uh, the rich and powerful making uh, laws against the poor, widows and orphans, and benefiting from that scoundrel type behavior. So rejecting that, you know, if you have the ability to do that and you reject that and choose instead to treat others fairly, that pleases God. 
Also, what pleases God is keeping your eyes and ears from evil. And it says, quote, this is the man who will dwell on the heights. This is one that will be elevated. Kind of going back to chapter 32. To get to that heavenly realm, this is what we need to do. God has been telling us an awful lot of what really irritates him. Mostly, failure to trust in him is the overarching principle. But now here's some specifics of how to please God. In other words, to live the right way. Verses 17 and 18. Persons who establish themselves in God's justice and righteousness will be blessed. And one of the blessings is you will see the king of beauty. Isn't that a great way to describe God? A king of beauty. And, and then, look, look, look at what it says. You're, you're going to ponder to yourself. What, whatever happened to all those terrible people? Whatever happened to all the fools and scoundrels that, that, that I used to, you know, even though I knew they were fools and scoundrels, I used to tolerate as my government officials and you know, other, other leaders and people of influence all around me. Whatever happened to them? Because I don't see them anymore. See, we're back in heaven again now, right? They're gone. Because we've chosen to be like verses 15 and 16 and do what God wants us to do. Now, verse 20, heaven is described as, as a tent. Now, a tent is probably the most insecure edifice you could possibly construct. <laughs> Doesn't I mean, Bill, you, you've done a lot, a lot of Boy Scout camping, right? Ever, ever, ever have any tents blow over or anything? <laughs> yeah, I mean, just they're not real strong. I mean, you would expect you know, this, this, you know, the way it's described, it's a fortress. A fortress of God to be you know, mighty rocks and you know, a huge wall and all of that. This is a tent. But look what it says. The rope will never be broken. The, 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 the spikes in the ground will never, never be unearthed. You know, it is so incredibly secure. This tent is the most secure thing imaginable. <laughs> it's just incredible. But again, you know, the, the, the wonders of God. So again, here in, in the heavenly realm, we, we know that, that there is a river that goes through downtown heaven. And here, verse 21, it says, no ship of war will sail on God's river. Right? So there's no, no threat that will come in. Again, a tent is not really very defensible. <laughs> but we don't need it. Because the power of God is all around so we don't have to be concerned about the enemy getting into us. Verse 22. So choosing God as our judge and lawgiver and king will result in us being saved. Claiming God as judge, lawgiver, and king results in our salvation. Now you see the give and take here? My God saying, I will give you this, and this is what I need from you. So this is an if-then equation. If you do this, then I will do that. This is what God's saying. So calling upon God as judge, lawmaker, and king results in our salvation. Sounds like a small price to pay to me. Again, the wise person, the non-fool, will say, yep, let's do that. Because in verse 24, in the final analysis, 
following God will result in physical health and your sins will be forgiven. So in other words, there is spiritual health. No more illness. Which we can find a couple other places in the scriptures, a description of heaven. No pain, no tears, all that kind of stuff. So what God is doing is, is sharing with us the, this reality and wanting us to get excited about it. Wanting us to, to anticipate this, to, to be assured of this. Again, if then, do this, God says, I will do that. Do these couple of things for me, boom, salvation is yours, heaven is yours. Eternal love is yours. It's just going to be awesome and incredible. And there goes 33. Other thoughts in 33? What are they saying on 23? 33, 23. 23, says I find it. So it's a nautical image. The... Uh, They used the boats to trans... After, after the Assyrians come in and take over, they would, they would load all the ill-gotten booty onto boats. So now these boats are rendered useless, and even the lame will crawl aboard and take whatever they want. So there's going to be a return of all the spoils of war. Even the lame will carry off plunder. That sounds remarkable, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah, just incredible, incredible hope. Don, are we going to say something? I, mean, I was dang. just saying, in this chapter it really tells you about the rewards yes. of being a follower of the Lord. And that's, that's a biblical word, reward. Now, we, we don't like to use that word. It has a kind of a negative connotation, but that's the word that's there. It is a reward for choosing deliberately. Yeah, absolutely. And again, you, you, we can't say that if I live rightly today, God's going to bless me today. Yeah, I'm going to get a million dollars or whatever. Um, it doesn't work that way. You will be blessed in a number of ways, but to see this, this is the real blessing. So all these little things we get here on earth are but a lead-in for just the unbelievable blessings of heaven. I, I, I think for quite some time when we get to heaven, our jaw is just going to be like, <laughs> we, we will not be able to speak. You know, I mean, it just, really, I mean, it just, it, it, it's going to be mind numbing at that point. And uh, we're, we're going to be so, so amazed and be glad that we have chosen what we did here on earth. And because now we will recognize, yeah, that's, that's the reward. And yeah, we, we do that with kids. We reward them for good behavior and discipline them for bad behavior. So, yeah, the, the reward system is very effective. It really, really is. Anything else in 33? We can bust through 34 pretty quick because I can give you all of chapter 34 in two words. Trust God. Thank you. Good night. Um, that, that's what it's saying. 
I mean, this this is a chapter on trust. I mean, as if we haven't discussed it enough. I mean, it, it just always keeps coming back to that, which is good. Because we, we, we don't want to God to start off and say, the most important thing is trust. And then by chapter 10 it says, well, this is also equally important. <laughs> right? It's just trust, 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 trust. That's, that's what it is. So it's saying that trusting in anything other than God, in this particular case, in trusting another nation, for your protection, for your strength, rather than God, is going to result in the land becoming a desert. But if we choose to trust in God, even in the desert, flowers will will come forth. There will be beauty and growth and life. So the first four verses are a general statement of judgment upon all nations. Then starting in verse 5, it moves to this specific example of Edom. We've already discussed Edom about 10 chapters ago. So, go to verse 4. The effect of God's judgment is that even the stars and the sky will be affected. Now, we, we see that clearly in Revelation. Look, look, look at the quote there in, in verse 4. All the stars of the heavens will be dissolved and the sky rolled up like a scroll. Now, is that something we can do? Could we make all the stars in the sky disappear and roll roll the sky up? No, no I, I, I didn't think so. I, I just thought I'd check with you guys to see if you, know, you, you had you know, more, more, more power than me. But, you know, I mean, that is so beyond our comprehension. Let's face it, we can't even predict the weather anymore, let alone control it. And, you know... But the stars in the sky, you know, God created all of them, placed them all where he did, and it just, I mean, this is all God. So God's judgment in the end. This is the end end. Again, you see, see it clearly in Revelation. That's exactly what happens. Stars disappear, sky rolled up, moon's gone. Just all those things that we have seen every day of our lives are now gone. So verse 5, getting into Edom now. So Edom is singled out because they've always been such an enemy of Israel. They're just bad neighbors. They're awful. If you go way back to the beginning, as Joshua is leading the Israelites into the land of Canaan, the first people they bump into are the Edomites. And the Edomites know that, well, these guys have no weapons or anything. Let's see if we can take them out and start... Yeah, war with defenseless Israel. So they've always been mean and nasty. Now, if you keep reading in the Old Testament, you discover the Edomites are kind of weird. Because they it's not that they hate the Israelites. They hate Israel's God. And so they're always trying to pick away at Israel to prove that, well, your God won't protect you. Your God is nothing. And we're really going to come into that here in the next couple chapters because the Syrians are going to pretty much do, do the same thing. So with Israel, it's, it's always a matter of spiritual. It looks physical, but it's always spiritual. We're going to take out these people because they represent this God. And we hate this God. We will do all that we can to destroy this God. So they make it very, very personal. 
Edom joins Babylon against the Israelites much later, 100 years later. So, notice Israel did not go to Edom and ask, ask to make an alliance with them. They skip over them and go to, go to Egypt. Now, verses 9 to 17, yeah, a huge, huge section there. It's a lot of birds. <laughs> I mean, just birds after birds after birds. Now, you've got to go way back in the Old Testament, you know, when God started laying all this stuff out, and you'll discover that all these bird names are classified as unclean. These are bad birds. These are birds you don't eat. These are birds that, you know, are just bad, right? So God specified, you know, the cloven hooves, you know, you eat, you know, and all that jazz. God is making all that clear. So these are unclean birds now habitating. Seems like the only life of these unclean birds in a desert environment. <laughs> so, in other words, just complete utter destruction. There's, there's, there, there's nothing left. And you see real evidence of that in verses nine and ten. Now, did you know? The land destroyed with burning sulfur. Now, what what other area can you think of in the Bible that was destroyed with burning sulfur? Sodom and Gomorrah. Yeah, yeah. And that's a. I mean, so I specify that that's an area. Sodom and Gomorrah are two two separate cities in this vast valley. And believe it or not, for quite some time, it was unclear where Sodom and Gomorrah. Is you know, archaeologists have looked for it. It was one of the most you know, key places they looked for for many many years. It, it just couldn't find evidence because you read it and it's just wiped out. I mean, there's nothing left. And they some years ago thought that they they, they found where it is. Yes, side. So yeah, that whole that whole huge area. Yeah, it's but. They, they couldn't find any evidence of anything. And then they started digging down further and further and further, and, and they discovered that they found melted rock where they believe Sodom and Gomorrah is, which is what it says. I mean, it was that hot, it melted rock. So it's not lava, it's melted rock. That's how hot it was. And also keep in mind then that when you get to Revelation, the devil and all his minions are cast into the lake of with burns with sulfur, right? So you know what sulfur smells like, right? Rotten eggs. See, I just I mean, the, the, the fire represents a lot of, lot of torture already. But God, God throw, throw, throws in the acrid smell <laughs> Just for all eternity. That, that's what you smell. Is that, that that rotten egg smell? It's like wee. <laughs> just that doesn't sound awful. I just blah. So yeah, Sodom and Gomorrah were wiped out with it, this this burning sulfur and just just awful. And of course, Lot's wife. Remember that? You know, uh, she was a she was a she. How'd that little boy to, to describe Lot's wife? She was a, she was a p- pillar of salt by day and a ball of fire by night. <laughs> she was a, a pillar of salt. We we don't have any evidence of that. She kind of washed away after a while. Oh, ay, ay, ay. Look at verse eleven. So it, it re- refers to a measuring line and a plumb line. 
Now, these are tools used as a standard measure. So a plumb line is what, you know, to get a wall straight up and down. You hang it down there and you, you see if there's any deviation, and if so, then you have to adjust something. So this is something that is straight and true is what this is describing. In other words, to make something the right way. Because you don't want to build a, a, a house with a wall that, that, that bows out a couple degrees. It's eventually going to fall over. You're not going to be able to stop it. You're not going to want the, uh, the, the foundation to be askew. Because by the time you get the roof, you're, <laughs> you're going to be walking through your house like this. Right? Everything's going to be off. And it doesn't, it doesn't take more than a degree over the course of many feet to really compound the effect of that. So these are tools that, that help you to create something the right way. So God now uses those tools to show that Edom has not lived up to the standard of right living. Right? God establishes his plumb line of right living, and Edom is not following that at all. So God's really, really got it in for, for Edom. Verse 14, see, see the re reference to night creatures? In, in the original language, these night creatures were called Lilith. Now, harken back some years. Remember the TV shows Cheers and Frasier? Remember Frasier's wife's name? Lilith. <laughs> That's genius. <laughs> because she was a lot, I mean, she, this is the kind of character she was, remember? She had no personality. She, she never smiled. She was just, get, she, she was hard to get along with. I mean, just like these, these night creatures. And uh, in fact, these night creatures are, are, are a lot worse. Um, it was this all fairy tale here, but it, they, they believe that these 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 uh, little these these night creatures, if you if you were in bed with somebody else, you were safe. They they would only come after you if you slept alone. <laughs> and and and, and they, they would come and possess you if you slept alone. And and then they believed that they would get into your house and steal your baby. Dingo eat him. Uh, remember the dingo Jimmers? <laughs> so, but that's what they believe. So that's what that reference is 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 all about. It just makes me laugh. And then finally, verses sixteen to seventeen, a simple point is made here. God says it; He will do it. Now, in this case, I mean, how many times have we we seen so far? Thus saith the Lord. Here, God wrote it down. Remember, two weeks ago, he told Isaiah, write this down so that when this does happen, you can pull the scroll out and show the people. See? Last year, five years ago, God said it's going to happen. Boom. There it is. Now do you believe? So God actually wrote this down for that, that very purpose. So that it could be easily verified. God says it, it will be done. Count on it. And there's chapter 34. What thoughts do you have in chapter 34? Well, let's venture into 35, shall we? 
have so much time. I can hardly believe it. Now again, do you, do you see? Chapter 32 is a great chapter of hope. Chapter 33 had a lot of hope. Chapter 34 is just miserable. Now chapter 35, I mean, maybe the best chapter so far. I mean, incredible joy, incredible hope. I mean, man, it's a good chapter here. Now, we've seen continually God is really irritated and God is really angry with essentially everyone on earth. God has pronounced great judgment upon the earth. And yet, for the few, for the remnant. And remember that the path to God is narrow. So there's not going to be that many people. The path to hell is, is very wide for a lot of people. But for the few who, who either remain with God or return to God, God is faithful to his word for any and all persons who come to him. And specifically, it says, for persons willing to leave their trust in an idol, leave their trust in the military, leave their trust in wealth, or leave their trust in any other means other than God, and simply come to God and say, I trust you. God will reverse the entire process for any and all persons who do that. Now, just because one person does it doesn't mean the whole world is saved. This is personal. Only those persons who personally make this covenant with God will be saved. So again, narrow path. Now, our whole discussion thus far is focused on the issue of trusting God. And now in chapter 35, you will see the word trust does not appear anywhere. But I think after 34 chapters of talking about trust, we can, we can apply it. I mean, how many more times do we have to say it? The case has already been established. Trust is always the underlying principle with God. So we can see clearly in this chapter the result of trusting God. And we can also see the result of rejecting God. The point is that no matter how bad things get, repenting and returning to our trust in God will result in the great power and grace of God to reverse evil. That's his plan. Just trust God. So the first two verses gives the picture of what all this is going to look like. The desert will be turned into an oasis. There will be flourishing wilderness. So now look at the end of verse 2. And you see the reason why God is doing this. And the answer is, it is so that all will see the glory of the Lord. The splendor of our God. So God will show His greatness so that all will see His glory. Now the only question remaining is, will everyone believe it? The answer is no. Yeah, utterly amazing, isn't it? So God is going to make it abundantly clear, and yet people will still continue to reject it. In other words, God has done everything he possibly can short of pulling the brain out of our head and turning us into robots. And he's going to reveal this glory and people will still reject him. But there are the few who don't. 
And, and we see that in verses 3 and 4. A prayer for the people. Asking God to bless the people even before they repent. So the few that are the, the remnant. Now look around and see all this destruction. See God's, God's judgment and wrath everywhere. So they start praying for others even before they repent. That's always a good thing to do. So for the people who have lost hope, who look around and see just destruction, see all those nasty birds and everything else, can you imagine what it would mean to hear verse 4? Be strong. Do not fear. Your God will come. Wow. That's hope in a nutshell. I mean, any time you or somebody you know experiences you know, a lack of hope, a diminished hope, pull that out. Be strong, do not fear, your God will come. Look at the very end of verse 4. The purpose of God's coming is for our salvation. Again, I will say, talk about hope. Wow. So as you look around, you may well conclude it, it it appears perhaps like evil is winning. There's a lot of it around. <laughs> it's not like occasional, it's like all over the place. But don't let that be the last word. Hold on to this hope. Be strong. Do not fear. Because God will come to rescue and save us. And that, my friends, is the essence of faith. When it looks like what your eyes see is this, faith says, I can see beyond this. I can see beyond whatever this, this trauma, this pain, this awfulness is, to see my salvation. To see God always at work in my life. Verses 5 through 7. Upon hearing this good news, eyes and ears are opened, and the lame will leap with joy. So as the glory of God is revealed, yes, a number of people will finally come to their senses. Now, look at verse 8. Big question of the day. Jesus describes the, the narrow road of salvation. And here, in verse 8, it is described as the way to holiness. Question of the day. The big theological question of the day. How can this road be the way to holiness? How can the way to holiness get us there? What's Let me ask you this. What's the purpose of a road? Get you one place to the other. Who's at the end of this road? And God is holy. <laughs> right? So this is the way the holiness, the way to God. 
A road is designed to get you somewhere. Where are you going? We want to go to God. God who by definition is holy. This is the way to holiness. Now in the uh, verses 8 to 10, kind of get into the end of the chapter here. The only ones that will be on this holy road are those who walk in the way. Now, here's something that will just amaze you. The first written name for Christians was not Christians. It was the followers of the way. Want to do it again, Jimmy? <laughs> right? So, those are the ones walking on this road. The redeemed. Those who have allowed Jesus to pay the price for your sins. Because Satan held us as captive in sin, but Jesus paid the ransom and gave us our lives back. And because of that, we have great joy that results in singing. Even if he can't sing well. Now, it's also interesting that in this description, we have revealed the bad things that will not be found on this holy way. Absent will be persons who are unclean, the ungodly, those who have rejected God. Look at that. On this way, there are no fools. Again, those who reject God. And there will be no devouring animals to threaten you. So you're not going to be walking down this, this, this narrow path like, like Dorothy and Toto. You know, and the lion jumps out and you know, just all these scary things are happening all the time to them. It's not like that. This is, you're just going to walk. Confident, secure, nothing's going to get me. And we're just going to walk toward God. Now, this is described as hope because we don't have it yet. This is held out as, again, if and then, do this, then you get that. So this is a concept of the future. Sounds pretty good. And now we have described for us what we need to do to get there. But we don't have it yet, but that's why it's hope. That's why this is a chapter of hope. Hope is what you don't have yet. So God makes it clear what our ongoing faith will yield. We will have joy for the journey and we will have joy for all eternity. So it's not like you're going to be walking on the narrow path to God all grumpy and gloomy and uncertain. And then all of a sudden when you get through the pearly gates, oh boy! No, you're going to be jumping and doing cartwheels the whole way down the path and just continue doing that when you get through the pearly gates. So in fact, it's saying that the, the path is pretty near as good as the destination. The walk of faith. The living in Christ is our security today of our hope for tomorrow. So in a sense, yes, we begin to experience heaven here on earth. We are so sure that we're going to get it then that we start to live it today.
Sounds pretty good. Yeah. The way. Just get on the path. See, God wants us to understand that what choosing Him results in. And He also wants us to understand what rejecting God will result in. So, it seems like every chapter is a juxtaposition between the good thing and the bad thing. Back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. God wants us to make it abundantly clear so that we are not foolish. That we would reject Him. We would think, oh, I, I don't know. He's making it so clear. And he wants every one of us to believe it. And because we believe it then, that's what we're going to share. I am so confident, I am so assured of my salvation, that I want to share with you this joy. Let me start doing cartwheels and, and you know, jumping up and down at, at, at work or at the mall or in a restaurant somewhere. People are probably going to come up to you and ask you, why are you doing that? I'd probably give you a good, good, good opening. Because Jesus loves me, right? There you go. Pretty cool stuff. There's chapter 35, so we caught up a little bit. Any other thoughts in chapter 35? I don't think there's going to be any late night Stevens there belittling you and uh, all that kind of stuff on your way on that journey. On the way, it's going to be all positive, encouraging, and... Because we're going to be side by side. We're going to be helping each other and just, it's going to be awesome and incredible. And again, we'll start that now. That's, that's what the church is designed to be. Help, helping each other get to that, that destination. So chapter 36, then you'll, you'll notice it, it's going to really shift now. It's going to go into story mode. So this is the, the, the whole Assyrian uh, alliance part now. We're going to get a lot of detail and all that, so you'll really be interested in to 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 read this. But you know, keep keep the characters straight. So the Assyrian king is Sennacherib. The the Israelite king is Hezekiah. And so each one takes turns speaking, and there's other ambassadors there from Assyria and all of that. So you got to keep the characters straight. But you know. You might have to re- read it a couple times to, to, to get it down, but it's, it's really an incredibly powerful story. These next couple chapters are going to blow you out of the water. Pretty cool stuff. So we'll get to that next week. That'll be awesome. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.